Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Fear grips the city of Miami as rumors circulate that a serial killer is stalking its residents. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to our friends at NBC6. Two men shot two hours apart at two different locations. Both victims homeless. The first shot around 8 p.m. near I-95 and Southwest 2nd Avenue. He is still in the hospital. That individual is in extreme critical condition and is being treated at Jackson Memorial Hospital in trauma. The second victim shot just before 10 near North Miami Ave and 21st Street. Police say they got video. A black vehicle had driven up to the location where the victim was laying down on the ground and uh, shot at him several times. Police also believe is responsible for a deadly stabbing of a homeless person in October near Edgewater. This is a witness from that day whose car was held up in the crime scene. They told me I couldn't have my vehicle because it, it, it had blood splatter and, uh, and, it, and it had to be fingerprinted because there, there was a fight. There was some type of struggle and they thought that the car had to have fingerprints on it. Now they think it's possible other homeless people may have suffered. Who would drive up in a fancy black car and take pot shots at homeless people killing them? just shooting them dead like they're playing one of those games at a carnival where you shoot and shoot and shoot and then you get the big fluffy animal as the prize. The city of Miami in shock as one after the next person is killed. And as you heard our friend Jamie Garula speaking from NBC, one of the victims was actually lying down asleep on the ground. With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know so far, James Shellnut, 27 years, Metro major case, now lawyer with the ShellnutLawFirm.com, Dr. Sherry Swartz, forensic psychologist, author of Criminal Behavior and Where Law and Psychology Intersect. Chris Byers, former police chief, Johns Creek, 25 years on the force, private investigator and polygrapher at Chris Byers Investigations and Polygraph.com. Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner for the entire state of Florida at PathCareMed.com, esteemed lecturer at University of Florida Medical School and founder and host of the International Forensic Medicine Death investigation conference. But first, I want to go out to a special guest joining us, David Valle, joining us from the Miami Herald. David, I can only imagine what all the residents of Miami thought when they wake up in the morning and look on their iPad or read their paper that yet another person has been shot. Tell me about when you first learn that somebody, typically in a black vehicle, would just drive up and shoot down a homeless person dead. Well, you know, the, the funny thing was, is, is it was sort of a, a dead period of news that, you know, it's right toward the end of the year um, uh, around Christmas time. And um, so it kind of went under the radar a little bit. Um, you know, it's one of those kind of curiosity type of things like, oh, there's someone's been shot in Wynwood. Wynwood is like a very touristy type of area um, that's, uh, you know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You know, David Avaye with Miami Herald just brought up a really good point that these shootings were in a very, as he said, touristy area. And he's right. You know, there's a lot of money floating around 
Miami, David Avayate, because every time I look at the Daily Mail or page six, somebody's having a multi-million dollar house being bought or sold. You have all those stars moving down there, celebrities. They're always throwing all the, the bashes that you see the Kardashians at. I mean, what is the draw of all these rich celebs to Miami, David? Well, I think it's it's the the uh, the image of the Miami lifestyle, right? You have the, the you mean uh, dope dealers? The, <laughs> no, we sorry. Well, that's that's too, that that is of course always one of the major draws here. But I think you have you know the celebrity scene, the the art scene, the party scene, which is of course the, the huge major draw. Um, and of course the weather, right? Right now it's, you know, 85 degrees out in the middle of January. So, um, I think it's just a little bit of, a little bit of everything that's captured, um, you know, the, the imaginations of people from all over the world for, for many years. And so you get here and then you have, uh, someone going along, taking pot shots at people on the street. It certainly was a disconcerting story in the beginning. You know, David, I got to quit saying pot shots. I said it first because... This is murder. When you say taking a pot shot, it, it's kind of uh, airbrushing what's really happening. Shooting innocent people that are standing there or lying there dead from your car where you have all the power, you have all the control like a sniper. Hey, David Avaya, everybody joining me from one of my favorite publications, the Miami Herald. David, where is Fisher Island as it relates to Miami? Fisher Island is a, is a really wealthy enclave island just off the tip of South Beach. So it's really like you have to have a ferry, you have to take the ferry to get there. Um, only the richest of the rich live in, uh, in Fisher Island. So when you're talking about South Beach, you're talking how far away is that from downtown Miami or, or where these shootings are taking place? Well, these shootings took place in the city of Miami. So you have right. the city of Miami, which is, you know, the sort of iconic, um, you know, uh, skyscrapers and financial buildings and condos. So that's in, the, in sort of like, well, I guess what we call the mainland. Mm -hmm. And you have to go across the causeway um, to the sort of barrier islands. And that's where you have Miami Beach, which is a separate um, city, a separate municipality, and that's where you have the really iconic Ocean Drive with the Art Deco um, buildings and the party scene and, you know, sort of the, the nightclub scene that we've seen depicted in movies and TV shows. So um, City of Miami, distinct, distinct area, but also when you think of like Little Havana, Little Haiti, some, uh, you know, the, the, of course, the downtown financial district and banking district and all that, all of that is City of Miami. I love Little Havana there. Do you remember the program Dexter? <laughs> I never actually watched it, although I have friends that worked on it as police department, uh, you know, advisors. Wasn't that set in Miami? It was. It was set in Miami. It was with the Miami-Dade police where the, uh, I believe. That is one of the shows that got me through my pregnancy, along with Mystery Woman. I binged on Dexter uh, to get through my <laughs> very perilous pregnancy. So there you go, David. So I'm trying to get, wait, now, wait a minute. Isn't Miami where Scott Disick's always hanging out with another teen girl? <laughs> there's always there's always a celebrity hanging out with a teen girl or an entourage somewhere in Miami. Now, let me clarify. I don't mean teen is in younger than 16. I mean teen is in, like, 19. Um, because I'm imagining Scott Disick sprawled out on a lounge chair with his new girlfriend, whoever she may be, and then not too far away, this guy gunning down innocent victims. I mean, the dichotomy. Uh, 
Let me throw that to you, Dr. Sherry Schwartz, forensic psychologist joining us. Dr. Sherry, the dichotomy of all that money and all that natural beauty juxtaposed against someone who apparently with no real motive, such as revenge or anger or double dealing or bar fight, is just gunning down innocent people to whom they have no connection. And then, you know, a mile over, you've got all of this opulence and all of this beauty. That That's kind of a a mind twist, right? Very much so, Nancy. And as you know, I'm in Miami Beach, so I'm a Miami resident. And what you described is the landscape of Miami perfectly. The, the wealthy, uh, of the, the most wealthy of the wealthy, the opulence, the glamour, this idea that it's paradise. And it is in some ways. But oh, it's then there's beautiful. This very gritty underbelly, right? And the thing is with serial killers, the, the motivation is always psychological gratification of some sort. Okay, it's, Dr. Sherry, it, hold on, hit the brakes, slow down for me, because you and Gallagher, you, you get going so fast, I can't take it all <laughs> in. Now, what did you just say about motivation? And look, first of all, let me just say, I don't care. I had to learn that the hard way. I spent about the first seven years, five to seven years as a prosecutor. And when the jury wasn't in the room, I'd look over at the defendant and think, why would he, she do this? Why would they do this? And then after spending a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out why, it just hit me one day in court. Why ask why? I've got to prove jurisdiction and who did it. That's what I've got to do. That is my duty. But out of just curiosity, occasionally I do wonder why in the world. So what were you saying about motive? Why serial killers do what they do, Dr. Sherry Schwartz? At the base of it, it's all about psychological gratification. That's the motivation. And that's the most terrifying thing because it could be the average person next to you at the supermarket, you know, in, hey, in line Jackie, at the bank, that would be you. you know, things like that. But it's all about they have something going on psychologically that murder is the way to satisfy that, that need. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. James Shelnut, 27 years, Metro Major case. Did you hear what Dave Avaye said, reported with the Miami Herald, that this was in a touristy area? It's like opening fire at Disney, for Pete's sake. That's where all the tourists are. Why are you laughing? I take my children to Disney all the time, every time we can afford it. Have you seen how much it costs now? Ouch. But the fact that there are innocent tourists around that are flooding into the city, pumping money into the economy. And this person, and you know, it's a man, right? I mean, how many female serial snipers have ever gotten caught? Zero. So go ahead with that. I can tell you right now, it's a man. But what about that, Shelnut? The fact that this is going down in a tourist area. You know, if you're not from that area, okay, you have to think this is not the prime selection point if you don't want to get caught. But a lot of times when people do this, they are doing it in an area that they feel familiar with. And mm, that area point. Uh, area oftentimes is an anchor point for them. And an anchor point can be an area that they live, 
and they're very familiar with it, where they work, where they've went to school, but they have some connection with that area that makes them comfortable enough to do this in this area. That's a really good point. And I always point out, for instance, Scott Peterson. Where did he dump his wife and unborn child, Lacey and Connor? At a place that was basically his fishing hole. If you look at crimes and the disposal of bodies as a body of work, um, you'll see that very often, if not a large majority of time, killers function within an area they are familiar, just as Shellnut just said. And to you, Chris Byers, former police chief at Johns Creek, uh, now at Chris Byers Investigations and Polygraph, Chris, I've dealt with a lot of killers, as have you. I mean, literally thousands of killers. A sniper is a whole nother can of worms. That's a whole different animal. Somebody that remains out of the fray. It's not uh, up close and personal like a killing, like a stabbing or a point-blank shooting or a strangulation, be it ligature or manual. This is somebody that sits back, as in this case, as David Valle is telling us, sits back in his luxury black sedan and takes shots at innocent people who don't see it coming. One actually lying there asleep in the warm Miami temperature. What kind of a mindset is that? Uh, this is a special kind of evil uh, in your mind that it takes to do something like this to just innocent people and your you know homeless people who you know can't really defend themselves and 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 are you know some of the weakest in society and you're picking on them and it just takes a completely depraved evil mind uh, in 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 my observation to do something like this. And you know, back to you, David Valle joining us, crime reporter with the Miami Herald. You can find him at MiamiHerald.com. David, very often with the homeless, you know, I've worked with for many years, uh, trying to feed them and give them shelter. David, very often at a distance, you can't tell if you would be shooting a man, a woman, or a teen. Because even in warm weather, they very often are bundled up with layers and layers of clothing and head coverings, sometimes gloves, even in warm weather. So this guy doesn't know if he's shooting a man, woman, or teen. Right, that's correct. And also, what was also challenging was the first people who responded to to the scenes, they were unsure exactly what had happened to these victims because... Um, they couldn't tell. They could just see some sort of trauma. They didn't know the backstory because it was so random and in public. You know what's interesting, David, if I had just thought of it. The other day, I was working on a new book. It's a murder mystery. And my son and my daughter, believe it or not, are always giving me ideas. Now, that could be scary. But my son said, you know what would be a perfect thing for a serial killer is to shoot people that nobody would notice or they don't have their family they're talking to every day like People on the side of the road, like homeless people. And they could sit out there forever, and no one would even know that they had been shot. And that is exactly what you're telling me, David. Explain that to me one more time, please. Well, um, in this case, the they believe the victims had no ties to, to the suspects, so the, they were just being sort of shot indiscriminately. I mean, it wasn't as if there was anything that provoked the attacks. Um, so, yeah, they, they believe it was absolutely... Um, 
you know, random and not not with any rhyme or reason that we could tell. Guys, take a listen to our friend Joel Waldman at CBS Miami. These murders, according to police, happened within two hours on Tuesday night. The first uh, was on the 400 block of Southwest 2nd Avenue. The victim there survived. Police say he is in horrible shape. He's at Jackson Memorial, and there is a good chance he will not make it. And then about two hours after that person was shot, police say another gentleman was shot in the Wynwood area. It turns out that both victims in this case were homeless, and police say that in at least one of the instances, the shooter fired the weapon from the car without even uh, getting out. Now, police are also eyeing the shooter in another homicide back on October 16th. This was the stabbing of a, of a homeless person. They would not get into details, but say that an investigator working on that case noticed something that connected uh, Tuesday night's murder uh, murder and attempted murder uh, to this stabbing uh, back in October, October 16th. Okay, right there to Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner for the entire state of Florida. This is in your backyard, Gallagher. Now, that could throw a lot of people for a loop right there because many people do not expect a serial killer to change their MO or to stray from their typical modus operandi method of operation. But that is not true. It has been proven over and over again. I mean, look at Ted Bundy. Some people he would strangle. Some people he would bludgeon. Uh, Yes, a lot of his victims looked very similar, but there were different M.O.s and his method deteriorated over time. So the fact that we've got a couple of people shot and then one stabbed, potentially connected to the same serial killer, that does not phase me at all all. I want you to tell us what these people would have endured, Dr. Tim Gallagher, uh, the shooting and then sitting out in the open and nobody really understanding what's happened to you. You're bleeding out and nobody around you knows what's happened to you. Well, you know, Miami has a very special uh, spot in my heart. Actually, I did my training in Miami. I lived there for many years uh, uh, and quite familiar with the uh, the surrounding areas and uh, the dichotomy of rich versus uh, not so rich there. But uh, after being shot and struck in a couple of major organs, for instance, the lungs or the heart, uh, the, the uh, victim will pass out probably within 15 to 30 seconds and then expire certainly within three minutes. So they're suffering. How I'm trying to figure out how long they would suffer before they passed away, Dr. Gallagher. Well, typically, you know, we find that um, 30 second, after about 30 seconds or so, they will lose consciousness. And then uh, theoretically, I guess suffering would end at about that time. But it's a very painful uh, moment up until they lose uh, the point of consciousness. You know, I've heard a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people that have been shot say, I, I didn't even feel it. How is that possible? Uh, it depends upon what they're doing at the time. Um, if they have a lot of adrenaline running in through their body, uh, that tends to mask pain until they eventually uh, relax a little bit and then the nerve sensation begins to uh, start again. So it just depends on what they're doing at the time they were shot. If they're very active, the adrenaline is coursing through their body, uh, that um, chemical in their body will dull the pain or stop the nervous impulse of pain uh, so they can escape or fight that fight or flight syndrome so they could escape or fight 
other way out of a situation. stories with Nancy Grace. Dr. Gallagher, as I was asking you earlier, again, this is in your backyard, regarding a serial killer changing MOs. Have you ever seen that before? You know, I have not, but I do tell you there are so many programs on TV now that show how these serial killers are caught using the same MO over and over again. So a learned serial killer might take note of this and then change his MOs, but typically... Uh, no, you don't see that at all, especially uh, shooting versus stabbing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, to, to stab someone, you really have to be close to them. It's very personal, whereas shooting, you know, you have that distance. It's very impersonal. And what about that, Shellnut? A serial killer changing MOs? Yeah, you know, a lot of times, you know, and, and I agree, I, I have not worked a case where a serial killer changed an MO. But I will tell you that a lot of times on that first killing, the serial killers are often intelligent people. They they look and, and see and evaluate what went wrong. And if, for instance, in a stabbing, uh, you know, they cut themselves and they thought, hey, I'm leaving evidence at the scene, my own blood, my own DNA at the scene, they're intelligent enough to switch to another method to avoid detection and avoid leaving that evidence. And to you, Chris Byers, former police chief, Johns Creek, have you ever seen a serial killer change MOs? Because I have. But typically... I would say they don't. Yeah, no, I would have to say typically they don't. I've never seen it. Um, totally agree with what Shelnet is saying, that they're intelligent and, and, and could make, you know, changes for what they're doing. But no, I have never personally seen that. I mean, uh, I mentioned Ted Bundy, but then, of course, Israel Keys is one of the worst serial killers there ever was. He strangled, he bludgeoned, he shot. He would have murder kits stashed all around the country, would always pick victims to whom he was not connected in any way. And we still don't know how many people Keyes murdered. I first became involved with Israel Keyes with the murder of an Alaskan barista named Samantha Koenig, who was kidnapped out of her coffee stand and assaulted, raped, murdered. He actually posed her body, stitching her eyelids open for a ransom note. But he never used a ransom note in any other case. He would identify his prey. They could be in a home. There was an elderly couple that he attacked, uh, kind of in a remote, their remote home in a rural area. He would hunt in RV camps and campgrounds. I mean, uh, so his MO, along with Bundy's, very often changed depending on the circumstances surrounding the time when he felt the urge to kill. Sometimes it was sex-motivated. He wanted to rape somebody. Sometimes he wanted money. Mostly it was for, I believe, the thrill of killing someone. Let me throw that to you, Dr. Sherry Schwartz, because that's more of a, a mind twist where you have the same mo and then you vary 
there could be a number of things underlying that psychologically. Maybe the person is changing it up because they want to escape detection from law enforcement. It could also be, which is much darker and less satisfying, that the person wants to try different methods of killing. Because again, in that vein of psychological gratification and getting that gratification from murdering people, maybe shooting isn't as satisfying to this person, which is really scary. But one thing you got to be careful about as a criminal is your vehicle. Take a listen to the Miami PD presser. The investigation began. Uh, officers quickly connected the two incidents, not only because of the, um, the short span of time between the two shootings, but because both incidents involved victims that were homeless. Uh, as the investigation continued, the members of our criminal investigations unit, led by uh, Chief Aguilar and, and Major Cook from our criminal investigation division, began scouring for not only physical evidence, but electronic evidence, and were able to discover a video of the shooting on Miami Avenue, where it revealed that a black vehicle had driven up to a location where the victim was laying down on the ground and uh, shot at him several times. Subsequently, the investigation revealed uh, the type of vehicle and the tag. There you go. David Avalle, crime reporter with the Miami Herald. Why do criminals think they're so smart? Why? I mean, the killer is driving in the same vehicle on two of the murders, a black vehicle. And at every red light, practically in Miami, you've got a, a, a light cam, a red light cam. What, what was he thinking? It goes beyond that. So this particular area, um, I think I told you, it's, Wynwood, it's called Wynwood, and they actually have a pretty sophisticated CCTV area because it's sort of a high tourist, high traffic area. Um, so I think they were able to use cameras that are really good from from that system to be able to get the uh, the tag. Um, the one the one thing that's been a challenge I know is, um, you know, it's his car, uh, it's his weapon, but the cameras aren't quite good enough to put him as the actual shooter. So as of right now, it's a circumstantial case. And, um, but they, uh, they really believe that he is the person um, behind. The- well, I mean, there's somebody gunning people down in the perp's car with potentially the perp's weapon, but who would ever have suspected the Miami serial killer is a successful realtor, a young guy that not me, but many people believe is very handsome, and I'm talking about Will Willie Maceo. Hold on, let it sink in. A Miami real estate agent now suspected of being the Miami serial killer. Bombshell. So, I don't get it. David Avalle joining me, crime reporter with the Miami Herald. Why would a successful realtor want to go around and gun down innocent homeless people? Nancy, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, Willie is not someone that had any real previous interactions with the law other than a couple of traffic tickets. He wasn't, uh, had never been arrested. Um, he lived in a pretty suburban, nondescript part of Miami. Um, if you look at his Instagram accounts and his online profiles, I and mean, he was sort of almost... Uh, you know, just sort of a typical Miami young man, right? Dabbling in real estate and trying to do, uh, get involved in cryptocurrency and, you know, just sort of all the, 
the buzzwords of 2021, 2022. Um, yeah, it's a complete mystery. And it's one that we as, as at the Miami Herald are still trying to understand. OK, you just said buzzwords. Are you talking about cryptocurrency? Is that the buzzword? Cryptocurrency, real estate, all the, you know, all the, the very Miami stuff of, of, of our current times. Yep. You know, it's just really hard for me to take in what you're saying, uh, David Avaya, and I know everything you're saying is correct. Take a listen now to our friends at CBS Miami. This is Our Cut 5. On his Facebook page, it shows a man that was interested in real estate. He reportedly worked as a real estate agent for Century 21, also interested in fast cars and cryptocurrency. And to that, both the mayor and the chief says you can never judge a book by its cover. Police officers are trained to go after the actions, not the person, not the way they look, but the way that they behave and the actions they take. I have been in law enforcement for 28 years with the city of Miami, and I can tell you I have seen criminals that fit every Every type and every look. It surprises me anytime someone commits a crime of this kind. I'm surprised. If it's someone who doesn't have a criminal history or someone who, um, you know, it, it, it would be harder to explain. That makes it all the more shocking. Police also say that they recovered a car and a firearm that they believe was used in the commission of these two crimes on Tuesday evening. Uh, meanwhile, it turns out that Suarez Maceo is from Southwest Miami-Dade, and he attended Miami Sunset Senior High, again, just 25 years old. stories with nancy grace take a listen to our cut eight this is janine stanwood wplg this 25 year old suspect got his real estate license according to records in 2018 and had no prior criminal history at least not that we could find at last check he was still here at the miami police department being investigated Homeless individuals, for apparent no reason, have been brutally targeted. Police announcing they have this man in custody, 25-year-old Willie Suarez Maceo, a licensed South Florida real estate agent who boasts expertise in the stock market, but who detectives are now calling a serial killer whose victims are all homeless. On the eve of Christmas, we have a very dangerous person off of the streets now. You know, I don't get it. David Avaye with me, uh, crime reporter with the Miami Herald. This is a really dapper guy. Uh, some would say good looking, not to me, because I know he's a serial killer. But some would claim he is very, very handsome. He's always decked out in slick looking suits. And he's pictured online on his social media sitting on top of speedy sports cars, bragging about cryptocurrency and his knowledge of the stock market. How in the hay does that fit in with driving along in your black sedan, shooting at innocent homeless people, some of them asleep, killing them? He shot one guy in the head for Pete's sake. It really is a jarring, uh, a jarring contrast. And, and given that he had never been arrested before, um, he had a valid concealed weapons permit. I mean, he was legally allowed to have the gun. Um, and also he's suspected of a stabbing, um, which is a very intimate, brutal crime that is, is accused of, uh, he's, he's believed to have done that uh, a few months prior. 
So the whole thing is very, very jarring, and we have uh, yet to learn exactly what was going through his head, but I'm sure that's going to play out as the process proceeds in court. David Avaye, somebody has got to be speculating about what his motive was. What is the working theory? I mean, I, <laughs> my, my, gut, my gut would tell me, you know, there's something, uh, you know, screw loose in the guy's head, but... You know, that's always a fine line, right? Because, okay, you know, David Avaye, I'm so happy you said that because now, finally, you said something I disagree with. A screw loose. Okay, let me torment David Avaye for just one moment. David Avaye, very uh, renowned in his field, crime reporter with Miami Herald, a screw loose. Now, the legal definition of insanity is not knowing right from wrong at the time of the incident. And the fact that he would pull up and this black car remain virtually hidden, as you pointed out earlier, shoot an innocent victim dead and then speed away, suggests to me he knew what he was doing was wrong, David Avaye. I mean, it could be argued, David, that everybody on this panel, including me, has a screw loose, all right? But that does not an insanity defense make. Would you agree? Correct. And, oh, darn, and, I was hoping you disagree with me. I guess I cannot <laughs> shield well, up for that. Well, here's the, here's the thing, right? So, so yes, right, you, 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 to be legally insane, you have to know, you have to, they have to be able to prove that you didn't know right from wrong. But in this case, not only did he, did he flee the scene, did he, uh, um, but also when he's eventually picked up by the city of Miami Police Department um, and they want to talk to him about what happens, he immediately asks for a lawyer, right? Mm. So, You'd think someone someone that didn't know uh, right from wrong mm -hmm. wouldn't really have the capacity to do that. So that's I, I don't think that's going to be able to fly as a defense. The best defense they have right now is there's no witnesses. You know, it's just really hard for me to take in what you're saying, uh, David Avaya, and I know everything you're saying is correct. Take a listen now to our friends at CBS Miami. This is our cut five. Mr. Maceo is never seen carrying out the shooting. But in court, the public defender arguing that just because Maceo owned the gun and the car used in the shootings doesn't mean he's the one who did the crime. No one answered at Maceo's home in the Kendall Lakes area. No one was at his real estate office off Killian Parkway. If he's guilty of these crimes and they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt, he has a very, very uh, peculiar pattern of finding unprotected uh, individuals in the streets that are not even awake and uh, going up to them and but it appears to be an execution style for reasons that are unknown. So he was denied bond again. He faced a charge of attempted first degree murder. Those other fatal incidents are still under investigation. Police say charges could be pending. Of course, there is another stabbing that we believe is going to be connected to Will Maceo. Also, are there other homeless people that have been killed in the past? Uh, homicides that have yet remained unsolved. So, David Avaye with the Miami Herald, you accurately pointed out, as the defense echoed your thoughts, that while cameras caught his vehicle, they didn't catch a shot of him. So, at any point, David Avaye, was his car reported stolen? No. As far as we know, there's been no evidence that his car was ever reported stolen. Um, I assume and the defense lawyer in that in that hearing pointed out that there could have been other people that he allowed access to to have to his car, to his gun. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, the interesting thing, so no eyewitnesses so far, but in the October murder, um, they actually have stunningly clear video of the person they believe committed the homicide. And it like, it's totally him. It completely looks like him. But, you know, in that case, um, again, they need more witnesses. They need more to be able to prove that the person in that video is him. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts. I imagine if I was a good investigator, um, they would be pulling cell phone records to see if they could triangulate exactly. his position and put him near the scene. Put his cell phone in the vehicle at the time of the shootings. And what you pointed out was uh, first they say, oh, there's not a witness. And they say, sir, we've got a witness. And then you say, well, they couldn't see it was at night. You don't have video. Well, now we have video. That's when the defense attorney has to step back and punt and say something like, are you going to believe that or your lying eyes? So bottom line, what I'm really curious about David Avaya is if they will connect him to other deaths, other homicides of homeless people or others in the Miami area that have remained unsolved. Do you know if there is an ongoing investigation in that regard. There is absolutely. And the city of Miami police chief actually implored fellow law enforcement to come forward with any cases that could be connected. Remember, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a homicide or an attempted. I mean, it could just be an attack in which someone survived or wasn't seriously injured. Um, so I'm sure they're getting a lot of tips. Of course, they've they've kept a lot of that stuff under wraps because of the sensitive nature of the investigation. But yes, they, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And so there was a couple month period between the October homicide and the shootings um, that ended in his arrest. So they, they want to know what he was doing in between that time and, and before that. I'd be very curious to discover whether his murders extended beyond innocent homeless people whose names we have not mentioned. Manuel Perez, Jerome Antonio Price, one unidentified male who survived. Very often we see just his name and not the names of the homeless as if they don't have names or families somewhere. What were you saying, David? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, these are people who lived on the, uh, on the fringes of society and are marginalized and and it would uh, be wise to uh, to definitely memorialize them um, because you're right. A lot of times the killer, just the killer gets the attention. Which is all the more reason that they need our protection, the most vulnerable in our society. I mean, if I can just ask a question. Yeah, go Can ahead. Yeah, quick question. You know, is, is there a connection between, I know he's killing homeless people, but he's a real estate agent that sells homes to people. You know, is, is, is there a connection there in, in any way, a psychological connection there? It just seems ironic to me. Can anybody make a connection on that? You, you know, the, the yeah. common thread is whether they're a serial killer teacher or anything else, they've got an antisocial personality. And something else, you know, that, you know, the average age of a serial killer is, is 27 and a half years old. This guy's 25. So if this guy's a serial killer, he's on the front end of his career. And by the police department catching this guy, they may have saved a ton of lives. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye, friend.